The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, December 29th. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Becker. Dr. Becker is a neurodevelopmental optometrist, certified neurosensory specialist, and Defeat Autism Now practitioner. He is the Director of Vision Rehabilitation Services at the Neurosensory Center of Eastern Pennsylvania. A graduate of Pennsylvania State University and the Illinois College of Optometry, Dr. Becker has been practicing for over 24 years with a specialty practice in rehabilitative optometry, treating over 3,000 neurologically impaired head injury and stroke patients ranging in ages from birth through senior citizens. Our topic today, how vision therapy can help spectrum children with visual dysfunctions. Dr. Becker, thank you for joining us. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon, Terry. Pleasure. Well, Dr. Becker, what is the difference between sight and vision? Terry, that's, that's a good question. Uh, sight is how well a person sees an object. And most people will relate sight to 2020 acuity or 2030 acuity. And that's how well the eyes can see a certain size object at a certain distance. Vision is how well the eyes function and how the brain interprets what it sees. And when you're dealing with uh, children on the spectrum, vision is so much more important than sight because most of these children have very, very good acuity. But how they function, how their visual function works is always or can be significantly diminished in terms of sight. Um, So vision is what we look at, and vision we need to look at in terms of function. How do the eyes function together so the so the child interprets what it sees correctly. And it's very important that we evaluate the function of these children. So is this uh, a brain thing as opposed to an organ thing? Actually, it's an, an organ thing would be the sight. Um, what happens here is you have two eyes, and they have to work together. If the eyes don't work together, the brain starts to interpret image from one eye versus the image from the other eye. And if they're not working together, the brain will interpret misinformation and the child will get misinformation and respond to poor input of what's happening in the visual functioning or how the child looks or sees or perceives different images. So it's a combination of perception, brain, and eye function in terms of movement together. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yes, so you're talking about functional or behavioral vision, and you're saying that behavioral vision is 
the more important term to define in terms of the child with autism? I would say in terms of the child with autism, <clears throat> it's a functional behavioral issue. Um, we've seen so many kids with perfect acuity that have come to our practice, that have come to our, our, our facility, that have had eye exams where the acuity is perfect, but when we go ahead and evaluate the functional aspect, we find out that neither eye works together well, the child mm-hmm. favors one eye more than the other, um, the child loses depth perception, the child starts to do visual stimming, and if we can find the visual cause and the functioning cause and behavioral cause, we can then correct it to reduce these behaviors. Okay. Well, you mentioned something called stimming, and, and maybe some of our listeners don't know what stimming is. So what kinds of outward behavioral problems or mannerisms or learning difficulties can result from deficits determined by the answers that you find to some of the questions that you ask, like, are the eyes moving together? Well, we first do a, uh, a significant history on the, on the children in terms of vision. And, you know, if you were to ask a parent, you know, do you think your child has a visual problem, they'll say, no, he's fine. Uh, he's, he, he can see really well. He can see the bird in the sky or he can see, you know, a car before I do. But but when you ask specific questions like when he reads or looks or colors, what happens? And you get responses like, well, he only does it, does it for a short amount of time. Where he's constantly uh, switching hands or turning his head using one eye and then turning his head using another eye. Or when he's doing some visual stimming, he might hold his hands in front of one eye and shake them or hold them in front of the other eye and shake them or any other object. Or he likes, or like these kids like to tend to look at themselves in the mirror and then turn the head to one side or turn the head to the other side. These are all clues that there's a visual functioning problem related to their, related to their, to the disorder, the spectrum disorder. And these need to be looked at real closely and they should not be ignored in terms of how the child's visual functioning is working. Okay, so are those all of the questions, the kinds of questions that you ask when you're doing this assessment? Well, well the questions we ask is, of course, we get a, a history on the child in terms of, of, of the other systems. We ask questions in terms of, do they do close work? Do they like to, uh, do they, do they, turn, do they tune their heads, turn their heads a lot when they're reading or doing video games or anything of that nature? What are they right-handed or left-handed, or do they change hands? How much turning of the head do they do? Do they sit close to something and then move away? What is their attention to a certain object, or not, or no attention? So we have to ask the questions that are appropriate. And then, a lot of times, by observation, you can also notice these. Also, notice as a practitioner what the child is doing functionally. A lot of times, these children come in and they want to look at you by turning their head to one side and look out of the corner of an eye. Usually indicates they're probably suppressing or ignoring one image, and the child has learned by, by doing that, it makes it easier for him to see you functionally or view you functionally, and to them, mm-hmm. it may perceive, it may, they may perceive as improving eye contact. So a child turns his head to one side and looks out of the corner, their eye contact seems to be better that way, and it, that usually indicates either suppression or an eye muscle problem, and the child is trying to adapt or the brain is trying to tell the child to adapt by doing this. And it works for a short period of time, but all of a sudden they turn their head the other way. Okay? And the brain is trying to tell the child, you've got to do these things to try to adapt to your visual functioning. 
Uh, so it actually sounds as if through vision therapy you would probably be wanting to retrain the retrain the brain or or um, provide exercises to correct um, deficits in the way the eyes are working together. That would retrain the brain. Well, in the, in the vision therapy program, we do like you said all of the above. We treat we train the muscles, the eye movements. We we train uh, tracking and saccadic movements. We retrain how the eyes work together, and by doing so, the brain can then interpret the images correctly and understand what's happening to reduce or eliminate any kind of visual functioning that may be affecting uh, the child in terms of learning and eye contact, eye-hand coordination, um, in, in those areas of both fine and gross motor. Okay, so you mentioned some terms like um, saccadic. Is that one of the terms you mentioned, and convergence and, and tracking, and what do each of those terms mean? Well, saccades is the term of moving the eyes left and right. And everybody feels that, oh, it's a natural born, but it's a developmental process. And if the eyes don't develop, develop normally, moving eyes from left to right or up and down, they may not be equal. And if they're not equal, then the brain's interpreting an image differently from one eye to the other, and then the brain will then tell the child, well, interpret the image from the right eye, or then interpret the image from the left eye, or interpret the image from the right eye. When they're getting these mixed signals, one minute they're looking out of their left eye, or the brain's saying, look out of the left eye, and the next minute the brain's telling, uh, the eyes are telling the brain, look out of the right eye. And they're constantly looking at different eyes, looking at different eyes, and the brain's getting mixed messages. So one minute you have the kid be to the left side, and then next minute he'll be to the right side, next minute he'll be to the left side. When that happens, he gets confused. It can cause a series of behavioral problems in terms of moving around quickly, having to touch things quickly, having to, to go from one side to the other side. It's very confusing. Uh, I Typically in my practice, uh, I have a pair of glasses that I put on to the parents that simulate a poor tracking problem, and when they put it on, I'll say, you know, you cover one eye and they see well, and then they cover the other eye and see well. Then when the parent has both eyes open with these special glasses on, it says, wait, this is confusing. I can't seem to, to, to focus or use anything. I said, well, that's what's happening sometimes with your child when you ask them to do a certain task. The brain can't interpret, interpret the images from the both eyes into one. Convergence is how well the eyes come together when you read. They have to be smooth and equal. And, and it's funny, these these, these children that are on the, on the spectrum are very smart. And when I do convergence training or I do convergence um, testing, I might bring a sheep in or a little cow or a little uh, lighted clown in, and I'll always say, how many clowns do you see? And sometimes the children will say one, which is the appropriate answer, and many times they'll say two. You know, and I pull it back and I pull it in, and the parents can say, why are you saying two? Well, the eye muscles are so weak that at a certain point, one eye sees one image and the other eye sees the other image, and the brain interprets seeing two. When that happens, the child is going to start to cover or turn or become um, uh, uh, more active to eliminate the double vision. And, and it's interesting when you show the parents this, they'll say, wow, I didn't realize he was seeing two at 12 to 14 inches from his face, which is a normal reading and writing distance for a four- or five-year-old. So convergence is really mm -hmm. important. I have a question that I'm curious about. Um, this the stem where a child is waving their fingers by the corners of both eyes. What where does that come from? 
Well, it depends on what you read. I mean, um, it can come of a, a visual problem, or sometimes it can come from an overgrowth of yeast and things like that. And if you have the control, if you have the control of a yeast, and if you're you're following the Dan methodology, and you're and you're, and you're on the proper uh, supplements to control any kind of yeast problems or, or or infectious overgrowth, and there's still visual stimming, you got to start looking at what's going on in the visual system. And okay. that and that's where we see these kids. You know, they're on the on the Dan protocol. We we follow Dan protocol in our practice, and and they're still stimming, and there's still visual stimming to the left or the right. It's usually an indication that there's another component to the visual stimming, and it's usually a visual functioning or visual processing disorder. And yeah, well, that's great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I hear the break music. I was going to say that that's great that you're using an, an integrative uh, approach of the Biomed plus this therapy. So let's pick up with this when we come back from break, if we may. Okay, that's fine. We'll be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America business channel your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness welcome back to autism one a conversation of hope with terry aranga if you have a question or comment call us toll free at 866-472-5792 now back to the program here's terry we're back with neurodevelopmental optometrist, Dr. Jeffrey Becker. And before the break, Dr. Becker, um, I had asked a question about a child stimming, you know, with his uh, flicking his fingers to the sides of each eye. And you were talking about um, how your practice uses an integrative approach. You, you check for yeast and, you know, some biomedical things. And then if it's still happening, you move to the vision therapy component. Do you want to pick up with those thoughts? Um, well, 
Uh, yes, I do. The, the the thing with the with the stimming, um, it's, it's been known by many dam practitioners and it's been studied in, in research that uh, children with overgrowth of yeast and infectious overgrowth of other uh, organisms tend to do a lot of stimming. And and if we treat it accordingly, we see the reduce in the visual stimming. But when we don't see that, or if we see it coming back, even on the even on the correct biomedicals, we look uh, really into it is a visual functioning problem and. In many of our kids, uh, the research has, has come up that 80% of children that, ha- that, are, uh, that have uh, spectrum issues or learning disabled or ADHD have undiagnosed visual function problems. So, you know, if you see 10 autistic kids in the practice, uh, eight of them probably have some undi- undiagnosed visual functioning problems um, that need to be corrected. So it's, it's a much higher percentage where, uh, than the normal population which is one out of four, 25% of kids in a, in a uh, population would have undiagnosed visual functioning problems. Wow. Okay, and we talked about some of the signals to the parent that um, their child needs a more in-depth functional visual assessment with the stress on a functional visual assessment. So what's the difference between an in-depth functional visual assessment and how long should a thorough and, and you know, your run-of-the-mill um, eye doctor visit, and how long should a thorough assessment take, and what kinds of practitioners are qualified to perform this? Well, any practitioner is qualified to perform it as long as they have a state license to do so. But in terms of evaluating a child uh, on the spectrum for functional vision evaluation, it's going to take anywhere from 60 minutes to uh, two hours. Um, you have to get the right uh, evaluation. You have to understand what's going on with the child. Uh, you cannot use the, the the normal equipment you would use in a routine eye exam. Um, you have to measure how their the child's integration with proprioception, eye movements, um, balance, depth perception, focusing or accommodation are all related to the child. And when you're working with a child on the spectrum, you can't be quick. You've got to take your time. You've got to be slow. And sometimes it may even take two visits because the child might get tired after 30, 40 minutes, and you can't make a quick decision. So sometimes it takes two visits, and it's usually a two-hour evaluation. Um, at least that's, that's what it is in our practice. And, it, and it's, and it's um, very comprehensive, and it's more than just a eye exam. It's a functional behavioral eye exam where you determine what the visual system is doing why it is doing it, and how it's affecting the child in terms of their behavior, in terms of how they perceive images in space on the left, right, or in front. And once you can determine that, you can determine how to treat them and what the appropriate, what the appropriate protocol would be. How can you evaluate a child who is not able to, for example, follow directions? It's a good question. Most of our kids that we evaluate have some ability to follow directions. There are things that we use called subjective versus objective evaluations. Objective evaluation is where I ask you how you see things. Subjective is where I can evaluate a child through the instruments we have in our practice to find out what they are doing in terms of balance and proprioception. At our center, in the Neurocentry Center in, in eastern Pennsylvania, we have equipment that can quickly evaluate eye movements, 
had the child look left, right, and quickly evaluate whether they're, over move, they're moving their eyes too much or too little in terms of the object submitted. And they can check when they're doing this how it's affecting their balance in the vestibular system and their proprioception. And I have to tell you, Terry, you have to be very well trained and you have to have good technicians, which we do in our office, and you know, good support staff to do this. It's not something that can that's easily learned and easily done. It takes a lot of experience. So um, even if a child can't respond to you appropriately, you can get a lot of information from the testing that we can do. Maybe some listeners don't know what proprioceptive or vestibular mean. Proprioceptive, well, let's talk about vestibular. Vestibular tells you and I and our children where we are in space. Uh, there's a, there's a um, term called the VOR, vestibular ocular reflex. And where we are in space depends on where our eyes think we are and where the canals in our, in our ears think we are. And if you all remember when we were young and we were on a merry-go-round in a, in a, in a playground, it was going around and, and our children were going around real quick or we were going around quick, and then we got off the merry-go-round, we felt very dizzy and off balance because moving quickly in circles creates a nystagmus movement of the eyes, okay, where they move incorrectly. They move left and right, up and down very quickly, causing an imbalance. We go left, we go right. When we measure this in our children, in, in our practice, we can tell if they have a significant vestibular problem that affects them going left and right. And what we find is when the vestibular system is not working and they have a poor balance, all of a sudden, the proprioception comes in, where they've got to constantly be touching things left and right to determine where they are in space. You and I will stand there and say, oh, we're standing in a room, and I see a wall, and I see a picture, and I see a door. To a child that has a vestibular or, or a VOR, vestibular ocular reflex deficit, they have to touch everything they're looking at to determine how far it is, where it is in space, and how it's relative to them. Once they determine that, they move to something else, Okay. Proprioception is touching, and typically when you touch something, when you're younger, when you're just an infant, you touch something to determine where it is. Well, these kids with, on the spectrum that have a VOR, vestibular ocular reflex deficit, will have to be touching things constantly to determine where they are in space. And then when we do the vestibular testing, we'll find out, yes, they have got a vestibular ocular reflex problem that needs to be corrected. And I think most parents that have kids on the spectrum will tell you, they're constantly having to touch things left, right, up, and down. And they're out constantly being, you know, the children are constantly being reprimanded to stop touching, stop touching. And the problem there is you can keep on reprimanding these kids, stop touching this, stop touching that. But the reason they're touching it, it gives them an idea of where they are in space and what's close and what's far. And no matter how much we reprimand them, you need to correct the problem to find out what's going on because this is their idea of telling, this is their way of telling their body and their brain what's going on around them. Does that make right. sense? Right. It's also kind of mean to, to stop, to, to, to be telling children to stop behaviors that they're using to adapt to, to their world and get sensory information the best they can. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely want to look at, uh, at remedying these things with, uh, biomedical and, uh, other types of adjunct therapy to take care of the underlying root problems. Are these are there similar reasons for why you see the so-called stems of 
hand flapping or rocking? Well, well yes, they're all related because when, when a child is doing that, they're trying to either decrease the amount of suppressions they're having or trying to change the way the eyes are functioning in terms of what they're perceiving in the world. And by hands flapping, it's another proprioception. They know where their hand is. The hand's attached to the wrist, which is attached to the arm, which is attached to the shoulder. And by doing that, they're, they're, they're identifying themselves where their visual system is in, in terms of spatial environment, in terms of spatial orientation of where they are. And that is a very uh, early developmental system they haven't learned to understand in terms of the VOR reflex of what's actually going around in the world. And I, I, it's very frustrating for a parent to constantly discipline, oh, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. But it's very natural for the child to do that because this is where they are in terms of development. And and you need to find what's causing this. In, exactly. And, and yeah. take, take care of the treatment accordingly. When when my son was a, an itty-bitty kid, um, he was a thrower-upper, and uh, we did have some reflux going on. Um, but two, I wonder if you know, like whenever I would reverse the call, the car or the baby stroller, um, he would go into a meltdown and he might throw up. And so I wonder if if that has anything to do with what you're talking about. Well, those of us that don't like motion, and I'm one of those, I can't stand a lot of motion reading. Know that if you're reading while you're in the car, some people can read while they're drop, you know, read while they're uh, moving, and some people mm-hmm. can't. And those that can't usually have a VOR deficit that that throws them off, causing nausea. You know, whether you're on a ship moving or in a car moving, and if you have a child that the minute you throw them into reverse and move the stroller backwards, all of a sudden it throws their vestibular arc reflex off and affects how they feel, and then you have that, that stage that they may want to uh, vomit or feel bad. Of course, you know, we have gut issues with these kids. Uh-huh. So... So if you know, you know, if you got you know a leaky gut syndrome, that adds to the situation also. Yeah, and you know, I, I guess what we're expressing here is that the child is a whole person, and that a really good approach is is a comprehensive, integrative approach to look at the individual uh, biomedically for any underlying physiological issues, and also look at the adjunct therapies like vision and auditory therapy and such. So you were talking about equipment and um, what equipment is usually used in routine eye exams and does that uh, does that do the trick here? You, you know, it's almost impossible to use uh, routine equipment in an eye exam for a, a child on the spectrum. They won't sit long enough. Uh, they want to keep on touching it. Um, it, it distracts them and you're not going to get good responses. You need to use what we, I would call out-of-instrument techniques in terms of um, determining how well the eyes focus and function. Um, sometimes, we, you know, very rarely do we, we, we put them behind what's called a phoropter, which you may be used to to determine your prescription and so forth. So the, the techniques you have to use with these kids is out-of-instrument um, in terms of determining their visual functioning. Um, sometimes we use special glasses they put on, and... And I have three or four special glasses we put on, and the mother puts a pair on, and I put a pair on, and all of a sudden the child might want to put a pair on. And the glasses determine by how the child responds how well they're seeing depth. And we show them different pictures and, and depth perception, and you can tell how the child moves and grabs or touches the different depth perception targets on how he's using both eyes together. Um, so you have to use an approach 
that I would say that's not considered a routine, but you would have to use it in terms of um, applying it to the child who is on a spectrum in a uh, functional approach or out-of-instrument approach. Okay. And we will pick up with this when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Jeffrey Becker. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Okay, we're back with Dr. Jeffrey Becker of the Neurosensory Center of Eastern Pennsylvania, and we've talked about assessment, and now let's talk about the therapy. How is vision therapy done? What's the order of operations? Well, Terry, another good question. Um, and I think what we need to, just, to talk about is who does it and how it's done. You need people that are really trained um, in the area of vision therapy and also trained on how to deal with uh, kids in the spectrum. There's many ways of doing vision therapy. I take the the Piaget approach. Um, Piaget talked about this when he wrote his um, papers, where it's a developmental issue. You have to work in terms of developmental. 
And when we do treatment with, our, with, these, uh, with children that have visual functioning problems that are, that are on the spectrum, we try to work in a, in a, a way that we do monocular one-eye skills, and then we work into both-eye skills, and then we work into both-eye functioning skills for depth perception. And it has to be in this order because these children need to go through this, this developmental order or to gain the skills that they, they never had or they may have lost. But it's so important that when we, do the, when we do the evaluations and do the treatment, that the person that you're dealing with know how to, to know the, the specifics of the child, know the specifics of, a, of an autistic spectrum disorder, and know how to do the appropriate treatment protocols. And, you know, usually we're dealing with people in neuroscience, People have degrees in occupational therapy and have certificates in PEDS and master and PhD levels that work with these children. It can't be just an OT or P2 who has not had a specialty certification in this area because these, these children, these children of ours, require that kind of knowledge. They just can't be treated like another child that's not on the spectrum. So you're, you're kind of um, doing the therapy exercises in the order that the brain would have developed, yes. the skills would have developed. Yes, that's correct. And, and and that is typically the way. That's typically the way you get the best results. Um, if you don't use that method, you kind of like shooting in the dark and not knowing, you know, is it going to work or is it not going to work? And you don't move on to the next order of treatment until so the previous therapy you've done has been completed and it showed improvement or met normal levels. Okay. So you've talked about who should be providing vision therapy. Where can you do vision therapy? And uh, can it be in the office, in the home, both? Um, well, it should be done both. The, the best treatment to do therapy is in office, um, whether it be in an outpatient clinic with a uh, certified uh therapist, like an OT, or in the office with a certified therapist, OT, or vision therapist. We also do home therapy, and we use computer programs for home therapy. And that is a great program to use, but typically what we find with the home therapy program, the parents have to work with the child to perform the therapy protocol. And our autistic spectrum children are, are, are just as smart as children that are not on the spectrum, and I have found in my practice these children like to manipulate and try to not want to do the program when they work with their parents. And when they work with an outsider like a like a um, OT or a, or a physical therapist or neural developmental therapist, they seem to perform much much better. So we typically recommend office therapy combined with home therapy, and we see the best results, which only makes sense. When we just do the home therapy, we see good results and they do work, but it seems to be of a more struggle and it seems to take a longer time um, to see gains. How long does the therapy need to be done in the office? How many office visits? How long is each visit? And then what kind of follow-up needs to be done during the week at home? Typically, if it's done in the office or inpatient, you know, in the office or an outpatient clinic, it's usually two or three times a week for 30 to 60-minute sessions. Um, and depending on how what the disorder is and what how bad the disorder is, it can be accomplished in three, six, or 12 months. And that also depends on uh, cooperation by, by the child, uh, proper attendance by the parents, 
and a knowledge of, of what the problem is. You know, many times the, these kids do extremely well, and then once in a while you'll get a parent that comes in and says, you know, I, I went to therapy at the outpatient clinic that you prescribed, and I don't see any improvements. And you, know, you read the therapist's notes, and they went two times out of eight over a matter of four-week period. And I, parents had to understand that going twice over a four-week period to therapy, we're probably not going to see any improvements. It has to be consistent. And when you're dealing with, with children on a spectrum, consistency is so important. If it's inconsistent, it's mm-hmm. once a year and once in three weeks, the child does not understand what's going on. It has to be on a routine, consistent basis so they're understanding what's happening. And, and I want to emphasize to a lot of people, these children are very, very smart, you know, um, and they're, something is blocking, something in the neuroimmune system is blocking how they can understand or, or tell us what they're feeling or saying, but they know what's going on, and, mm-hmm. and they have to understand what's happening and by being consistent and coming on a, going to the therapy on a routine basis will work. And when it's not on a routine basis, no matter what you do, whether you're on a gluten-free, casein-free diet or if you're on biomedicals, if you don't do it on a regular routine basis, it's not going to work. The same with the therapy. Right. That's true. Um, you mentioned some computer programs, and uh, I know uh, when my stepson went to vision therapy, uh, he had this, this nifty computer program that sounded like he was um, doing space blasters or something. So what kind of computer programs do you use both in the office and for uh, the home? We use a, a, a computer program out of Phoenix, uh, uh, Computer Optics Home Therapy Systems. Uh, we've been using that system for many years. They have some great programs that, uh, that can be used in terms of um, eye coordination, eye tracking, um, our kids seem to really love it because it seems like they are blowing up whatever it is or and it, it keeps score and it's a positive reinforcement. Um, there are other programs out there that I do not use and I'm sure they're just as good, but I find that you know, if I see success with a computer program there's no sense in trying to find something else that's maybe not be successful. Um, the home therapy program, HTS program is very successful. It can only be used and prescribed by doctors that are, are qualified, so you have to find a, a qualified um, developmental optometrist that can use it. And the computer orthopedics program that we have in our practice and that some certain outpatient centers have in their, in their center is similar to the HTS program, HTS meaning home therapy systems, but the one in the office is much more extensive and has many more programs um, and can be used more with the stibulars when you're doing vestibular therapy we can have the child, you know, on a balanced beam and a balanced board and do the therapy and work it together to improve the vestibular, the VOR reflex. And it's very highly mm-hmm. successful. Um, the computer program has only been around maybe eight or ten years, and they've had a great input into our uh, therapy protocol because kids today, even ASD kids, um, like the computers. They, they seem to adapt well to them. Um, they have positive reinforcement showing improving the numbers and so forth, and the kids seem to know which ones they're going to do. They can, you know, click on the mouse and know what programs we're going to do and, and, and go forward. And with the proper guidance, they they do actually very, very well. And they love the positive reinforcement. And we tell our parents, um, when we're doing the home programs, make it a positive experience. 
and with anything your child does, whether it's doing biomedicals or gluten-free diets or whatever, make it positive, not a negative type of thing. And when you make it a, a positive environment for the children, they always do well. And everybody always does well when it's a positive environment in terms of, of rewards and 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 how the child wants to perform. Anytime negative, it's like we tell the child, oh, if you don't do this, you're not going to get this. That's a negative type of thing. We don't. We tell our parents we can't do that. We have to make it a positive a reinforcement. I imagine that there are some school systems who will pay for the vision therapy exercise, uh, visits as part of the IEP um, with the uh, optometrist coming to IEP meetings, for example, and paying for the computer equipment um, that can be used at home as well. I mean, the computer pro, uh, software. I think it depends on where you are. Um, we've had many school systems pay for the evaluation in our office, and we've also had many school systems pay for the therapy. Um, it, it just depends on the school system, the school board, and what they use, what they can or cannot do. Um, I would say every we must have 20 or 30 different school boards and uh, that we deal with in the area, and they all have different protocols on what is is not going to be taken care of. And it's really the type of uh, thing that the parent has to be proactive, the prescribing physician has to be proactive, and they have to work closely with the school district to to get these um, therapies paid for. I think that as part of many IEPs, they probably require, you know, visual or uh, hearing assessments. Some do and some don't. It depends how educated the school system is. Um, many times the school system said, well, they passed the, the test in the nurse's office where mm-hmm. strictly is an acuity issue. Um, and it depends how educated the psychologist is when they do the IEP. Um, you know, education is, is so important. I mean, if we talk about visual functioning versus acuity, um, that's where the issues are. And a lot of times uh, the certain school districts will say, well, they passed the eye test in the school district, by the nurse, and and we have to sit and explain to them that's just an acuity test, not a functional test, and it sometimes takes a lot of education in those in that area. All right, and we will talk more when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enz Medical. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. You've read the books, listened to the CDs, and gone to the workshops to learn spirituality. Now there's a way to help you live it every single day. The Spiritual Workout with Stephen Morrison. Call with any issue at all and Stephen will passionately help you see which of 15 universally spiritual concepts apply to your circumstance and how. Practice every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on The Spiritual Workout on 7th Wave Network. It's a practical path to a happier, more peaceful, and richer life experience. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Jeffrey Becker talking about vision therapy for autism. And Dr. Becker, how are the therapy programs individualized? I know that you use things for uh, convergence, like, um, you know, ropes that have beads on them and that you use flipper glasses and things like that. How do you individualize the programs to work on certain skills? Well, depending on what the uh, child's deficits are, uh, we use different uh, procedures and protocols. You know, if the child has a convergence problem and is able to attend, we use what's called a Brock string. And the Brock string is a very simple device with three beads on a string. And what it does is it helps the, the child converge at the same time eliminating suppressions. Um, it is a very effective and it works very well with the trained therapist. Um, if, the, if the child has a focusing problem in terms of can't focus clearly distance and up close, and this, is, this is, can be significant for a, for a child on the spectrum where they, they're constantly either getting close or far away to objects and moving their head and trying to get into things. Uh, that indicates an accommodation or focusing problem. And we use different lenses and flippers to control that, and we do it one eye in, or the other eye. When we use the computer programs, um, there are different modes. One's an auto mode, which we never use with our ASD kids, or we have what's called a manual mode where we can go in and actually program which items we want the child to do and the exact speed and time according to what our findings show. And so they can be significantly individualized for each child according to what their deficits are and what their needs would be. You know, you can't, you know, not every, if you've seen one ASD kid, you've seen one one ASD kid, you can't say that if you've seen one, they're all the same. None of them are the same. They are all different and they all require different protocols depending on what their needs, their attention level, their cognitive level, and their ability to, to uh, work with the therapist. Do a lot of the children like the exercises? I would say, well, <laughs> that depends. And it depends on the therapist. I mean, if you have a therapist that knows how to react to these kids and do, and, and do positive reinforcement, yes, they do. I would say 80 to 90% of our kids do very, very well React very very well and find it fun to do. Uh, it's not we don't make them. It's not educational. We make them memorize or do things. It's eye movements and the kids enjoy 
we call them games that we play to improve their visual functioning. If you call it things like games versus therapy, the child seems to respond better. How does the child maintain the new skills? Another good question. These skills are learned, and they can be unlearned. And we do what's called a um, we do a program that they do at home, the, the parents do at home with them, to keep the skills on level. And, you know, I, I relate it to losing weight. I mean, if you lose your weight, you get your goals to losing weight, you can't go back to your old eating habits because you will gain the weight. And I can tell you that from a personal experience. So you need to constantly redo these programs and keep them on a maintenance level. And we do maintenance therapy that they do at home with the computer programs, and they constantly maintain that. And they can be checked, and they can email to me or whoever doctor is prescribing it to see where they're at to make sure the levels are the same. And you reduce the therapy time instead of, you know, every other day. It's maybe twice a week. And when they're doing real well over a period of six to eight weeks, twice a week, you can reduce it down to once a week, and you watch them really closely. And if you see that the... Um, their levels have decreased or the times have gotten uh, reduced or worse, then we increase it and we, we, we instruct the patients to, to change the program to increase the therapy. And it's the same with anything we do with uh, the kids on the spectrum. We watch them very closely and we make modifications according to the changes in what's happening around them. All right. Well, I think this would be a good time to share some successful case studies with our listeners. Um. Let's talk about, you know, we have we have quite a few of these. We have a lot of patients with tracking and convergence problems um, where they have very little tension up close. Uh, they've had poor depth perception according to testing. Our testing for nystagmus shows a lot of poor vertical and horizontal eye movements. And their handwriting is bad or they refuse to do handwriting. We, you know, we prescribe the appropriate protocols, the appropriate therapies to remediate. And um, after six or eight weeks, we recheck them and we see improvements in what's going on with them in terms of our testing. And many times we get uh, reports from the parents and or from the therapist that they're saying, these kids are really improved. They're seeming to attend to task more uh, and increase in eye movements. And we have one child, um, we'll call him... um, Joe, uh, call him Joey, who who had poor eye contact, would not write between the lines, was constantly switching hands, and after about I want to say about four months of uh, therapy, two or three times a week and fifteen minutes at home, the teachers in the classroom reported that what did you do to this kid? What drugs mm-hmm. have you given him? And yes, we put yeah. him on a gluten free casein free diet, but we did not prescribe any any uh, pharmaceuticals, as the teacher thought, was prescribed. And we did the therapy program, and she said, it's like a different kid, you know. And he's gone from um, the special classes, and he's now into in the regular classroom with other kids, working well. Okay. Sure, he How has nice. some... I'm oh, sorry? How nice. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he still has some deficits that need to be attended to, but he feels better about himself. The parents feel better about himself. And, and, and the school is saying, like, wow, this is really a great thing. And the thing about this is, you know, if he can be taken out of the uh, special classes and put into a regular classroom, it mm-hmm. saves everybody a lot of money down the road in terms of how we get these kids, you know, recovered and, and productive. And that's what we really want to do with these kids. Right. And for the kids to be healthy and safe and, and happy and, and as 
having as many skills as possible. Of course. Well, what books or websites can parents look at for more information and uh, what questions would you advise them to ask when they go to a prospective vision therapy practice? The best website I would recommend is the NORA, Neuroautometric Rehabilitation. It's NORA, N-O-R-A dot C-C. And there is a website and it talks about uh, the doctors that belong to that typically work with people that work with children and adults with rehabilitation. Um, That would be the best thing to go. There is a thing called COVDOEP, and that's also a good site. Um, But the experience that I've uh, received from patients, a patient from Chicago that's been emailing me, that many doctors belong to these um, organizations just to belong and don't always follow through in terms of therapy. And they say they do it, but they really don't. And what a parent has to do is a parent has to be a good investigator, and she has to actually call the practice and talk to the doctor or talk to the receptionist and ask, how many kids do they treat a week? How many kids, how many autistic kids do they actually see and treat? And you know, what do they do in terms of treatment? And do they work with occupational therapists in the schools? And and, and if you you know, it's a gut feeling. If you got a feeling that this may not be the doctor for my kid, then your gut's probably right. It does tell you the right thing. And, you, and if the receptionist doctor says, well, we treat, you know, a few or some, that's probably not the person you want to go to because you want to go to somebody that's experienced with these kids. This is what they do. It's not like a side thing or something they want to do just for fun. It should be what they do, what they concentrate on. And there are doctors out there that work on this, and, you know, they're hard to find. Um, but if you go to these fights and do an investigation, you will find that, there's lots of good uh, development optometrists, functional behavioral optometrists in the country that work with these kids and do a good job. You know, I, I will say that we have people coming to our practice from all over the East Coast because it, it's, it's difficult to find doctors that want to work that way, but there are good doctors through these organizations that you can find. And the parent has to really be a good investigator and ask the right questions when they call. All right. Well, Dr. Becker, I would like to thank you for sharing this important information on this essential part of our children's world. And to our listeners, Dr. Becker will be speaking at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2010 Conference in Chicago, which is being held next May 24th through 30th. Please visit www.autismone.org in the coming weeks for much more information about the conference. To our listeners in the United Arab Emirates, Dr. Becker will be presenting in Dubai in the beginning of May 2010. Next week, Carrie Rivera guest hosts with Lorna Ortiz in Spanish about the Quirando El Altismo Conference in Puerto Rico in February. For questions about this program, please email me at tiaranga at autismone.org. Thank you to this program sponsor, Enzymedica. We wish all of our listeners a safe, healthy, happy, and hopeful new year, and thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thanks, Terry.
Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.